Hello there, my name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Like many people, I receive friend requests from fellow anglers on Facebook from time to time. When I do, my usual routine is to click on their Facebook page looking for evidence of fish or fishing before I commit, which is precisely what I did when I received a friend request from Ross Johnson in August 2016. Usually, after verifying the content, few people's pages ever get any sort of an in-depth look through. I get a request, check to see if it's fishing related, click confirm, and we're friends. But not in this particular instance, as my attention was immediately grabbed by a photograph of a short-caught skate of £173. What a fish! Time then to scroll down and investigate further which I was gobsmacked to find out, turned out to be a reflection of my own fishing life. Clearly, Ross is an angler who sets great stall by racking up an ever-increasing UK species tally, regardless of fish size. The big difference was that Ross was just starting on his quest while I was nearing calling it a day on mine, and yet the daylight between us was such that he could probably make up the shortfall before the end of that year, with many more years still to come. Most definitely, then, a name to watch. But of more immediate interest to a lot of people, myself included, has to be the catching of monster skate from the shore. I was going to say common skate, but that is no longer accurate, as a species has recently been split into two. The blue skate, which tends to be the one found around the south and west of Ireland, and the flapper skate, which is the one found in Scottish and Northern Irish waters, and presumably the species shown in the photos with Ross. Unfortunately, as ever, the British Record Fish Committee have failed to keep up with events and still list the fish as a common skate, which I know has been bettered by fish released in situ, and rightly so, plus a shore record of £169.6, ounces, bettered by the fish in the photograph being released by Ross. So let's talk shore fishing for monster skate. There can't be many people who can lay claim to having achieved that one. So how did all of that come about? Well, it started about four or five years ago. Myself and a friend of mine, Ed, Ad Wynas, from university, who had been up for a trip out of Crinan, actually, and we'd been fishing for the skate on board uh, Archie McGilp's boat. And he'd told us a few marks in that area that are worth a go from the shore. And we, we knew it was going to be possible, but we didn't really think at the time that we'd go up and do it straight away. And um, we didn't, as it, as it turns out, I went to Jersey and then to Alderney, so I've been three years away, and he went up to do a PhD in Aberdeen. And um, it sort of got to the point last year, or midway through this year, where we started talking about it, and um, we decided, like, we're going to go and have a go. So we met up, he'd done a few sessions already, wrecking out a few marks, he'd lost a few fish, but other than that, there wasn't a great deal going on. So I, I did a bit of research myself, I had a few looks at marks further north, looked into the boat catches where they were getting the skate, tried to find areas that were fairly deep off the shore and looking for accessible marks as well. And we found a few marks to have a look at and one of them we just happened to stumble across was very, very nice indeed. And uh, we just went up and gave it a go. And um, the first time I lost a fish, probably after about an hour and a half fight, so I was gutted. And then two weeks later, I went back up again and uh, I obviously got that fish and then my friends arrived the day after and we had another free fish. 
Gear-wise, again, we were sort of looking at what the boats use. So you're looking at 250-pound mono snoods. Obviously, you need a long leader because their tail is very rough and can cut through your line. So we were generally using about a 40-foot leader of 100-pound mono and then using long pulley rigs, so sort of six, seven-foot pulley rigs with 250-pound mono snoods and 150-pound rig body for the lead connector. And then because of the depth of the water, we had to use quite heavy leads, so 12-ounce uptide leads to hold the bottom. Rod and reel wise, we're using heavy setups. I was using uh, Coniflex Enigmas with a Saltis Black Gold 50 loaded with 30 pound line, so it's quite heavy duty stuff. Give us a flavour too of how the actual day itself went. The day itself was a long one. I set off at around 8 o'clock in the morning, aimed to get to the mark for about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I arrived just after that, so it's a good eight-hour drive to get up there. I was on my own for the first night, which is when I got the bigger fish of the trip. And I was just fishing away, caught spur dogs, we'd caught conger eels, and then all of a sudden, rod arched over, and then yeah, battle commenced. So for 95 minutes, I was uh, basically stuck in battle with this skate. Eventually, after a long fight, I managed to get up on the surface. And luckily for me, a local lad had come down by then and uh, helped me land the fish. And then we got a few photos and uh, put him back, obviously. How exactly did it come out of the weight estimation formula? That one, from the measurements, was £173. It was uh, 78 by 67 inches, so um, a fairly good fish. Fairly good is a bit of an understatement. It exceeds a British shore court record. It does, although I think there's a lot of fish that have been caught and put back between when I caught that fish and the record that currently stands. I think the biggest I've heard of is, is over £200 from the shore. But obviously they're, now they're now endangered species, so um, it is quite good to uh, put them back. It's one thing planning a trip like that, quite another successfully pulling it off. So describe in a bit more detail the geography above and below the waterline that fits all the necessary search criteria in terms of getting within casting range, being able to handle such a big fish if or when one comes along, and of equal importance, personal safety in pulling the whole thing off. Well, the first thing you've got to look for, obviously, is an area that holds skate. They're very localised fish, and they're non-migratory, so if you know where the fish are at, and look at the boats that are catching them and you look at the, the locks and the areas then you're, you're going to find fish it's then just a matter of finding a mark where you can fish for them and have a good chance of landing them so really you want fairly deep water obviously is, is always important because they are a deep water species but you're looking for somewhere where the rocks go straight down into the water and you've got 150 foot or so within casting range where we fished in particular it just literally drops off into 200 foot about 30 yards from the shore so you have got that vertical lift on a fish when you are playing it which is obviously very advantageous it's, it's almost boat fishing from the shore obviously the marks you're looking again for somewhere where you've got the rocks that you can land them on so you you need that deep ledge straight away to get the fish up and then you need somewhere where you can land them normally you obviously you'll need another person with you in this case, I had the lad that popped down locally. But where we were, there was a flat ledge of a few boulders and uh, we just basically waded out knee-deep to land the fish so we could do it safely and get some nice photos while the fish was still in the water. Chumming-wise, uh, we, we didn't bother doing any chumming. There was boats fishing just out from where we were most days, 
not quite within casting range of the shore, but only probably twice as far out as we were casting, which is obviously not very far because you're using quite big leads and quite big baits. But it's it's just one of those things. Large gate then are obviously a very real prospect and one which more and more people are cottoning on to. Thoughts of sharks are also starting to be explored. Just a couple of weeks ago a large poor beagle was caught and released from the rocks in Pembrokeshire and there is talk of attempts to recreate the work done by the legendary Jack Shine over in Ireland. What then might the prospects be of yet more of our bigger growing species potentially being tapped into from the shore? Well, I think it's very doable. Uh, we know that there's species like poor beagles and, and blue sharks that swim around the coast of the UK. But as you said, um, nobody's really targeting them properly at the moment. I mean, people are tope fishing and they have been caught, as you said. Um, the uh, lad in Pembrokeshire has now hooked one and got it to the rocks. But that was just on standard tope gear. So he actually got very lucky. The amount of people you would actually see casting out with uh, the proper gear for those sort of sharks I, I think it's pretty much non-existent and if there is people doing it I'm not aware of it <laughs> but uh, it's certainly something we've been looking into we're looking at places where you've got a nice riptide that goes offshore so you can sort of balloon a bait out sort of big bait obviously I think you probably need the chum as well like they do off the boats but I think it's just a, a matter of fishing a lot and just hoping for the best with, with that sort of fish when I fished over in Namibia, we would look for areas with an offshore tidal deflection and an offshore breeze. Then, stake a fish like a bullos out at the water's edge and let the elements take the body juices offshore. And we'd have lots of sharks within casting range in absolutely no time at all. Yeah. You could probably just, um, certainly around the UK, you could probably just get a few fresh mackerel and just put them in a chum bag and dangle them off the rocks. I'm sure that would probably do the job. A further idea is a video I saw on YouTube where the lads over in America were using radio-controlled drones to get their baits and lures well offshore to cover feeding fish. <laughs> Not fancy giving that a try. To be honest, it gets to a point where there's there's so many things that can aid your fishing that it doesn't become fishing in the end, especially shore fishing. I mean, you've got these rocket cannon things now that fire baits out 300 yards, but it basically defies the point of fishing off the shore if you're doing that. Really, you want to be fishing rod and reel, casting from the shore... With a balloon, obviously, it does aid you, but you're still casting it out. You've got to watch it go out, and you've got to watch for bites. It's, it's just basically float fishing on a big scale, which I think is still game. Whereas a drone, it's not natural. You, you're carrying a bait out. The same as kite surfing or kite fishing. They're carrying baits out way beyond where you could actually cast from the shore. And, yeah, I, I don't see it as a viable option for me. Other people are more than welcome to do it. But And you've already had talk from the shore topside of £50. Well, the, the topia, yeah, I've been targeting them uh, a fair bit. As I said, I've been away from North Wales for a few years in the Channel Islands, but I got my opportunity to come back and try the marks that I used to fish in the last couple of months. It was about September 2013 that I had a, a good run of fish off a certain mark on the Clean Peninsula, and um, I just thought, it's, it's worth a go. We had some nice weather, and I get Mondays off work, so the Mondays I get off work, I need to make the most of it, so I do a day trip, a full day trip fishing. And I'd gone down there, no bait whatsoever. I always catch the bait fresh there, or fingers crossed I have catch the fish down there. Uh, luckily on this occasion there was plenty of mackerel there, and I was into those second cast. So um, I had plenty of fresh mackerel to go at. It was a big tide, 33 foot tide, so a lot of water running through. Probably bigger than I've ever fished this mark before. And uh, I just thought I'd give it a go. Took down the big leads again, so 12 ounce grippers to hold the bottom. 
uh, half a mackerel or just the mackerel head and guts for bait and I'd left it on the ratchet and um, yeah, it was about four and a half hours into the session I got I got the first run and the only run of the session and um, I had that type of 51 pounds so um, I was more than chuffed with that. What was the size of that skate again? We had four fish on that trip. The biggest was mine at 173. Uh, my friend Ads had one at 151, and we had two others of around 60 and 80 pounds. And the top? Uh, the top, I had four over the space of two sessions, which ranged from about 22 pounds up to 51 pounds, two ounces. So skate in the 170s and top topping 50 pounds from the shore. But, in all honesty, and the reason for asking about the weights is that very often in your fish targeting, size doesn't actually matter, and a fish weighing ounces can often mean more to you than dream fish like the two I've just mentioned. Yeah, that's, that's very true. So what's the story behind that? I do like my specimen fishing as well, but the species hunt is what I do best and it's what I do a lot of. And obviously the reason why I go for these specimens like the taupe and the, the skate are for my species hunt primarily. So yeah, as you said, size didn't really matter. It just happened to be that there was a big one that I caught. Uh, and I mean, I'd have been happy with a £20 common skate if I'd have got that first. That would have done me perfectly. But it just happened to be that I went in at the deep end with the bigger ones. And I think a lot of um, species hunting out there will catch good specimen sized fish. And it's something that's happening more and more often with people that are going and trying for the species individually rather than just targeting a variety of fish in the same session. So what's the motivation, the driving force, the attraction even for species hunting? I don't know, I've, I've been into it since a young age. I mean, I always used to go rock pool fishing and try and take as many different blennies and gobies as I can out of a rock pool with a net or with a crab line. And um, it's probably about 2010 when I first started doing it properly which is a couple of years after I'd gone to uni and I, I really got into my sea fishing then and um, a few of the guys I knew had sort of come into the shop where I was working at the time and said that they were going for certain species and it, it, it got me interested and I did a bit of research and it, it's obviously become more and more popular in recent years but there's a few guys that I knew, one in Scotland and one in mid Wales who were very into their species hunting at the time and I met up with them just by chance at a bass fishing convention in North Wales. And I took them out and put them up for a couple of days. And then we've been friends ever since then. And we basically do all this species hunting around Scotland and Wales and England. And um, we've done quite well. But species in general, I, I just love catching them. And now once you get the bug, you just want to catch more and more species, regardless of size. For me, it's all about consistency. Anyone who can successfully target a wide range of species must have a far greater depth of knowledge and understanding of the marine environment and its inhabitants than one who fishes blind for whatever comes along and is happy with that. Yeah, as you say, you have to put in the hours and you have to do your research. I mean, a lot of fish you won't just catch by going out and fishing anywhere. You have to find out where they are uh, almost exactly or at least an area in which you can target your efforts. Some of the harder species I've caught, I've spent months researching um, certain areas where they're being caught, certain tides, certain times of year, what bait they're getting caught on, if they're getting caught at all. And um, a lot of times we're looking at marine diving websites for um, places where they've seen fish, uh, not necessarily people that have caught them rod and line, but where they've been sighted. And uh, obviously if they're getting sighted quite a lot by the divers, then they're obviously worth targeting. As you know, 
I've been a species hunter all my angling life, so I know what it takes, what it means, and how increasingly difficult it can become the further you get into it after all the easy names have been ticked off the list. Okay, so you might get the odd lucky break along the way, but generally speaking, you tend to get out of it according to what you put in. All of that said, and I don't mean this as an achievement diminishing remark, but in some ways, and for a range of reasons including LRF, global warming, and the greater awareness generally, it's probably easier to rack up a big total now than when I first started. I would certainly say for numbers of species, yes, because obviously the seas are warming up, you've got a lot of warmer water species coming into the UK now. You only have to look at the Irish west coast now with all the bluefin tuna. I mean, obviously they've been there for a few years, but they're only just getting to the point now where they're targeting them and getting them successfully. But a lot of the um, fish around the UK and the Channel Islands as well have obviously just come to a point now where it's getting, they're more readily available. But obviously other species, and I've talked to you in the past about the monkfish in Trolley Bay, have obviously almost been wiped out by uh, commercial fishermen. So some species, I would say, have thrived and um, have become more easily catchable with the tactics we now use, like LRF tactics, but others have become a lot harder so in a way it's sort of 50 50 but i do think on the whole that it probably is easier now to catch a good tally than when you started yeah from your experiences which species do you see as winners and which have been losers well it's, it's hard to say i mean you've got as i said that the monkfish have obviously lost out they're almost wiped out from the uk waters now so it's very hard to catch those other fish that are getting commercially netted and fished for obviously bass stocks have gone down massively in over the years but even mackerel are becoming harder to catch that they're not a hard species to catch but when you consider four or five years ago you could go out and quite easily catch full strings of mackerel non-stop and nowadays you're, you're going out and you might get a couple of full strings but it's definitely getting tougher and obviously these restrictions that started bringing in are, are hopefully going to um, rejuvenate the stocks but let's not forget species like smoothhound and black bream, which have recently extended the range north into Scottish waters. Yeah, again, that's probably to do with the water warming up. And I think, obviously, bream, again, that they are trawled quite heavily, especially around the Channel Islands, they get pear trawled. And I just remember about two, you know, three years ago, I was working on a um, charter boat in Jersey, and um, the bloke I worked for, Tony Hart, he used to quite regularly go out for bream trips with his customers and um, the year I was working with him the bream hadn't turned up on time so we were going out to the marks where he usually goes and there was nothing there and it, it got to the point where he was panicking that they weren't going to turn up and his, his trips were going to get cancelled and then um, all of a sudden they did turn up and they turned up in numbers and I think it is a general trend now that things are turning up later in the year but obviously there's still big shoals there that are, are moving in and obviously they're moving further north, as you say, with the warmer water. And might it be, because there are less quality fish about these days, people are more easily persuaded to show interest in species they wouldn't have given a second look to years ago? Yeah, I, would, I tend to agree with that. Another good example of that is um, Alderney. I've, I've just come back from Alderney after two and a half years working there, and um, a lot of the local guys there that I speak to have told me all these stories about catching 50 pound eels and stuff like that off the shore and big blonde rays and they're, they're still obviously being caught very rarely but there is still a very big interest in conga fishing and big conga fishing uh, especially on the south coast to catch some of the smaller species on your list 
you must have either fished with tiny baits or LRF. What then are your thoughts on LRF as an ongoing pursuit? Well, I think it, it does have its part to play, especially in modern fishing. As you said, without LRF gear now, uh, a lot of the species that I've caught are probably not catchable. I mean, the hooks have got smaller, tackle's got lighter, and obviously the lighter your rod and your setup, the more bite detection you get. So you can see those small bites from, from very small fish. Some fish which are less than sort of two inches in length, some even smaller than that, and you're using size 32 hooks to catch them. And it's not one of those where I enjoy catching the fish because they're that small. I enjoy catching it because it's a species. It's a new species for me, so I get excited with that. It doesn't matter how big it is. I would quite happily catch a fish that's the same size as a 10p piece if it was a new species for me. I would enjoy catching it, but I wouldn't go and target it readily. I'd just do it probably the once to catch it for my species list and then move on. But I do love my LRF fishing, and... um, you still can catch big fish with light gear and it's as they always say you can can catch a big fish on a small bait but you can't catch a small fish on a big bait and I I, I do agree with that and I've seen a lot of big fish caught on LRF tactics. Though I rarely do it myself what I love about the concept of LRF and species competitions is the greater awareness and understanding of marine ecology which they promote. Yeah I would definitely say it's become more and more popular as you say with the species competitions and I think it is an awareness of the species that are there now that it's are interesting people to go for these species and uh, actually take an interest in do it as a hobby and do it in in some cases as competition and they're quite big competitions that they do in Europe with the street competitions and stuff like that and the um, sea fishing competitions they do in the um, harbours and stuff where it is species based rather than specimen based so a lot of the gear now that is coming out is tailored to suit that and um, the species getting caught now which probably weren't known about when you were doing your species hunt stuff like leopard spotted gobies everyone thought that they were very rare species until recently when they're basically getting caught all around the UK now just because the right gear has been used to catch them Species wise, what is your ultimate aim and how will you know when you've got there? The ultimate goal for me is to get 100 species of saltwater species from the UK and that, that's something I set out and started in 2012 and I did have an original plan of trying to do it in three years but I look back now I think that was very optimistic <laughs> especially with the uh, the work that I've been doing but I still think it's achievable it's going to be a long-term goal now to still reach that 100 species it doesn't have to be just from the shore it can be from the boat as well and there's still plenty for me to go at uh, but it is getting increasingly hard at the moment browsing your facebook page i spotted quite a few interesting species one in particular that stands out is the top knot perhaps then you should talk us through a few of the more memorable inclusions and the stories behind them well yeah so i'll start with the top knot the top knot the first one i caught was sheer fluke i was fishing a mark a deep water mark for pollock and it just happened to be the first fish that I caught on that session it's the first one I'd seen the first one I'd heard about and I, I was very chuffed with that and it sort of got me into a position where I started researching the top knots and finding out where they usually live what sort of bait they're usually eating what they're naturally feeding on and where they're being caught and um, I did a fair bit of research on that and found out that they are one of the only saltwater flatfish that live primarily over rock rather than on sand so obviously whereas you've got your your place your flounders your dabs all that sort of thing which are sand or mud based flatfish species 
these are rock species so to target them is actually quite difficult because you're not fishing in an area where you'd usually target flatfish you're targeting a fish which is going to be in the same sort of area where you get your wrasse where you get your pollock where you get your goby species so to actually catch a flatfish in a rocky terrain is very difficult and um, i think certainly with the top knots i don't think they can be classed as targetable i mean people say they're going for a top knot and they might catch one but i don't think they can realistically go out and say right i'm going to use this tactic and all i'm going to catch is a top knot there's going to be so many other fish that you'll catch first before you get one that it's not realistically targetable but other fish i think something like a tadpole fish of which i've now had four from the same mark i think are targetable and again another species like the yarrow's blenny it's just a matter of finding out where they are located first finding out what sort of time of year they're getting caught and then going up and putting in the hours fishing the sort of baits that they're going to be eating which in that case was ragworm and small fish baits i started off fishing the mark for the yarrow's blennies with ragworm and just got inundated with wrasse and other stuff so i started going onto strips of sand deal and strips of mackerel to try and avoid the wrasse and um, sure enough after about three casts i actually got one of my yarrow's blennies so i was, I was really chuffed with that so I, I think in a way a lot of the species that are targeted now are catchable by demand almost but i think a few of them you just get lucky and let's not forget some of the mini species too such as shore rockling giant goby 15 spine sticklebacks and the like rockling obviously um north wales is is full of them especially the shore rockling and the freebird rockling a lot of areas around the uk don't have uh, the shore rockling and it, they are quite scarce but in north wales where i'm based at the moment they are abundant and they're probably more common than any of the rockling. And it's just a simple case of ledgering a, a fish bait on the bottom, a small fish bait with a, a relatively small hook but strong hook, and you'll normally get one or two in a session. So they are very targetable. The other species, 15 spine sticklebacks, are a sight fished species. So they're um, hanging about in the top of the weeds. So you're not fishing on the bottom, you're not fishing mid-water, you're, you're sight fishing, you see the fish and you, you're literally dropping baits in front of its mouth and hoping for the best. So obviously they are targeted and they are caught by basically demand or by design. And that would be as satisfying as a monster skate. It would, yeah. I always say the first fish I catch of the species is always the one that excites me. The first time I caught a 15 spine stickleback, I was just as happy as the first time I caught a common skate. But the difference is I would go back and fish for common skate again where it's a 15-spine stickleback, unless I'm doing a yearly species hunt, I wouldn't target. What about some of the other more desirable species? Any particular standouts there? I was thinking perhaps of a red mullet you look particularly pleased with on Facebook, which just so happens to be my 100th species. <laughs> well, funnily enough, uh, with red mullet, it, it took me a fair while to catch one of those, and it was back in 2012 when I did one of my biggest species hunts that I was getting in touch with a few of the lads in Jersey that I knew before I went over there fishing. And uh, they were telling me to come over in November for the red mullet if I wanted a good one. So I, I did three trips um, from Wales to Jersey, long weekends, where I went over on the Friday night and flew back on the Monday. And um, it took me three trips to get one. And so it was a very expensive uh, species to catch for me and one that I'll never forget. But yeah, when I did get one, I was extremely happy and uh, all the effort was worth it. It's another tick on my list, so I'd still target them now because they are very good fun to catch. Notable bigger fish. Uh, I love my ray fishing. I do 
sort of target braised quite a lot. I've had some nice fish, especially this year. I've had some blonde rays off the shore to £18. I've had small eyed rays to just over £10. And I always get a kick out of catching a specimen as well as a species. Bass as well. I've always had a, a soft spot for bass. I'm very conservation minded with bass as well. I do a lot of law fishing on the soft plastics for them. But every fish I catch goes back. Yeah, I've had fish to um, a quite substantial size. I mean, I've had bass on the laws to just over £9 and some bigger ones on bait. But... I do enjoy catching the, the odd specimen. Pollock as well. I do enjoy law fishing for Pollock. In fact, um, when I finish <laughs> this, I'm driving over to a Kmenith on the uh, Clean Peninsula to do some Pollock fishing. So Better hurry things along then. No, it's, there's, it's no rush. I mean, we, we're not going to be there till sort of uh, just before dark. So, What about elusive fish failures or other less scurse species which, for whatever reason, continue to elude you? There's one that I'm still targeting at the moment, and I've I've had about must be about 14 or 15 sessions so far targeting them, and that's uh, a pog or a, a sharp nose, hook nose, uh, different names for it. And um, I've been trying for them for quite a while. I've not hooked one. I, again, I've done some research. I've actually seen them where I've been fishing in the daytime, but I do believe that they're more easily targetable at night. And most of the ones that I've seen caught on uh, forums and stuff have been in darkness. So it's, it's something that I'm going to be targeting a bit more, but at the moment it has eluded me. Actually, it's quite a common little fish up here in the northwest. I've not seen one on Rod Line yet, but they're plentiful enough in the shrimp nets and in fish stomach analyses. It's similar in the Mersey. Quite a lot of the cod that we catch throw up pogs, and bass have got them in their stomachs and stuff from the people I know that have caught them. But again, it's one of those species, I think, because they are small and they've got a very small mouth, I think where they're based, or I think they're in sort of like the deep channels in the mud, nobody's fishing the size of hooks you need to to get that sort of fish out in, in those areas. Moving away from the saltwater season now, what contribution, if any, are you taking from the freshwater scene? Freshwater was the mainstay of my fishing for the first 18 years. I didn't do anything but freshwater from the age of about four till when I went to university at the age of 17. So I used to do a lot of freshwater fishing, in particularly pike fishing, which I still love now when I get the chance to do it. But I've gone through phases of carp fishing and tench fishing and bream fishing. Again, it's sort of species based. <laughs> so I've always had that sort of species thing in mind. And I used to love going to lakes and trying to get as many different fish as I could, which was always good fun. As I said in my introduction, a similar outlook to myself, though starting it 50 years on. My initial idea was to target every species in the British record list, which I very quickly discovered was never going to happen, so I modified it to 100 species. Then, as I got on with it, I started adding other elements such as 300 species worldwide, plus a £200 from the shore and from my dinghy, and a £1,000 by any means to name but a few of the extra add-ons. What then is your overall lifetime definitive target? Like yourself, I have started making targets. So um, one of the targets is to catch a thousand species worldwide over my lifetime, which hopefully is, is a long one, but <laughs> I'll certainly be trying my best to uh, achieve that goal over the next sort of 50, 60 years, and we'll see where that goes. In terms of size of fish, at the moment, it doesn't particularly bother me, but it might do later in life, and you don't know how, how it's going to go. We've got a trip coming up 
very shortly uh, to Lanzarote where we're going to be targeting big stingrays so that's probably my next target is to get a stingray over 100 pounds from the shore after that it could be anything but it's going to be sort of uh, decided probably in that year potential lure to for lots of new or otherwise difficult species there's all sorts there. I mean, we did a species hunt the last time we went. There's four of us went from Alderney to uh, Fortaventura. And um, in the 10 day trip, I managed 39 species, which wasn't too bad. I'll try and build on that this year. If or when you modify your target over the years, for the reasons discussed previously, and now with overfishing thrown into the mix, do you think it will become more or less easy as the years roll by? I would like to think it would become more achievable because, again, we've got the Gulf Stream moving and hot water moving closer all the time and water's warming up with global warming. So I'd imagine a few of the species we get across or come across the Atlantic will, will become more frequent. There is the odd capture at the moment. You've got stuff like spotted bass that have been caught. But I think as things warm up, I think they will become more catchable. But I think some of the other species might disappear from our shores. So I think it's probably going to end up about 50-50. But I do think in the long run, there will be more species readily available to catch. And a large contribution will ultimately be provided by LRF tactics and species at the smaller end of the size scale, which I know would certainly have helped my cause, though for a variety of reasons, I'm glad I was fortunate enough not to have to rely on them. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I'd probably say about a third of the fish that go on my species hunt at the moment are fish that would be classed as many species or species certainly under a pound, so... I think it is a massive part of uh, species hunting and I think that will get better in time with the increase in uh, equipment available and in research. So to round things off, what are your catch stats at present? From saltwater I am currently on 88 species from the UK and my freshwater species is currently at 27 which I'm keeping as a separate sort of species list but yeah so 88 so far with 12 to go to achieve the goal. And worldwide? Uh, I haven't actually totaled up my uh, worldwide one yet. <laughs> so uh, I would imagine from the trips that I've done in the past few years, I- I've got to be close on 200 already. But yeah, it's, it's going to grow. And I-, I probably will end up doing a list at some point soon so I can see exactly how many I've got. Excellent stuff. If I were a gambling man, which I'm not, I certainly wouldn't bet against you achieving whatever final format your target evolves into. In the meantime, I wish you the best of luck and a very big thank you for talking the project over with us here.